This is Radiate, the podcast that celebrates life and shines a light on life-restoring stories of organ, tissue, and eye donors, recipients, and information you need to know about donation. Welcome back to Radiate. I'm Audrey Coleman, your host. Thank you for joining us. Today's special guest is someone who I have known for many years now. In fact, she was one of the first organ recipients I met after joining Aurora all those years ago. Please join me in welcoming a very good friend of Aurora's and also a dedicated Aurora volunteer, Carolyn Berry. Carolyn is a two-time heart recipient and a champion for organ tissue and eye donation. She has a very compelling donation story to share with you. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, let's just jump right into your organ donation story, Carolyn. Can you tell us about how you ended up being on the heart transplant waiting list? Yes, I'll be glad to. And my transplant journey starts many years ago. In 1995, I led a very active lifestyle. I was married. We had two daughters. And I was a a junior high school teacher and involved in school activities as well as church activities. But I began to feel very badly. And when I went to the doctor, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And the doctors uh, put me on medication and also implanted a defibrillator in my chest. And uh, for the next seven years, things just went on. You know, life goes on. And, uh, but my condition deteriorated. And in 2002, I had, to tra- I had to retire from my teaching career. 2004, I had a heart attack. And at that time, the doctors evaluated me for a heart transplant. I was put on the transplant waiting list. And just one month later, I received a call that a donor heart had become available for me. And while we, my family, my loved ones, and I were experiencing joy and tears of joy, elation, we knew that somewhere there was a family who was suffering Mm -hmm. because they had suffered a terrible tragedy for their loved one. But because of their decision to donate, I was being able to be given the gift of life. The surgery was a success. I, uh, for the next year, did everything right. I took every medication, kept every doctor's appointment, every lab, every test. And on the one-year evaluation of my heart, the doctors discovered that I was developing rejection. And it was a pretty severe type of rejection. And for the next year and nine months, the doctors tried new medications, everything that they could possibly research, find out, but nothing worked. And by February of 2007, I was in almost total heart failure in the hospital. And the doctors told me my only chance to live would be another transplant. Uh, I was in the hospital in CVICU, had a big window in my CVICU room. And from that window, I watched it rain and sleet and snow. I watched the brown grass turn to green. I watched the leaves turn out on the trees. And I watched the tulips begin to bloom. But all of that waiting ended on April Saturday when I was again given the second chance of life. Another donor and their family had made that decision to donate to a total stranger. And because of their generosity, 
their compassion and love. I'm able to be here with you today. In April, that will be 14 years ago. So I will celebrate my 14th anniversary of my second heart transplant then. And again, we were so joyful and so appreciative and thankful to the donor family because they turned their tragedy into a miracle for me. Carolyn, that is just, I remembered when I heard your story for the very first time, and I believe that we had, you and I were actually um, maybe doing an interview. Um, so I'm hearing the story, or maybe you were doing a presentation. I'm sorry, I can't really remember. But I remember that I was hearing the story at the same time that the audience was hearing the story. And I know that my mouth was just hanging open. I just was so, it was so compelling, um, just such an incredible story. So, so just to backtrack just a little bit. So you originally had a heart transplant in 2004 and you suffered rejection after one year. So that one, so after that one year, uh, was, so it was, it was after that time that you also, um, were advised that you needed to leave your job. Is that correct? No, I had to retire in 2002 because Before. my condition worsened so much. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so um, I'm just thinking about how, what that must have been like. So you had retired, you w were able to, you know, joyously, fortunately receive a transplant and then just one year later, your it's rejection. So, so during that the course of that year leading up to that, did you did you have any indication that something wasn't right? I had had rejection one month out from my transplant, mm. but they were able to control it with medication. Mm -hmm. And uh, the type of rejection that I developed towards the end of that year was a different type of rejection. My blood was making antibodies and antigens. And it was causing my heart to fail. It was attacking mm -hmm. my new heart. So it was a little bit different than tissue rejection. Right. So at, at that time, with that very, very difficult type of rejection, had the doctors given you any kind of odds on what you could expect in terms of quality of life, life expectancy without a transplant? They tell me my only way to live would be another transplant. And so you talk about being in the hospital and just watching those seasons go by, the leaves changing, the sky looking different. Um, so how long were you actually in the hospital? 74 days. Wow. That's a long time. Yes. And during that time that you were in the hospital, how did you keep your will to keep going in place? hope, faith in God. Mm -hmm. I wanted to live to see my daughters grow and mature. And uh, one daughter was single. I wanted to see her walk down the aisle on the arm of her dad. Mm -hmm. uh, I had lots of things in my life I still wanted to do. I had a bucket list. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to tell you, I have accomplished some of those things on that bucket list. That's excellent. Yes. That's and uh, that's, that's what kept me going. I, mm -hmm. I think when someone does not have hope, that uh, they've just given up, and I never did give up. I tried to prepare my family mm -hmm. and tried to be realistic about my chances. Um, I would tell my husband things like uh, cancel my cell phone and be sure and take me off 
long-term health care, and I told him to be sure and pay the taxes on the house in October. But that was a once-a-year thing, and I did not want him to forget it because I usually handle those kinds of things. So I was trying to prepare my family, uh, and it also gave me a sense of control. I could still tell them what to do. <laughs> I can imagine, though, that that was... Those, those were difficult orders for them to accept from you, though, to do this because you're saying it, it's not going to get done or yes. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to prepare them for the what if. Mm-hmm. So then let's let's go back to that that 70 whatever day it was when you were told that you there was a heart available for you. Yes. Tell us about that. It was a wonderful, joyful day. It was sunny. In uh, uh, a beautiful day, my sister had flown in from Dallas to see me, and she was uh, had just just arrived. Was not in my room when the doctor came in and told me that they thought they had found a heart for me. So, and my husband had come home. He'd been staying in Little Rock. We had a motor home, and he had moved it to the parking lot of Baptist Hospital. But he had come home to check on things, and uh, my sister walked in and she said, "What's going on?" And I said, "They found a heart for me." And uh, she said, well, call Richard, my husband. <laughs> and I said, well, not yet, because it's going to take several hours. And she said, no, call him now. <laughs> so, yeah, so in case he wanted to stop by or something. Right. right, <laughs> right. Uh, because they told me about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and they did not take me into surgery until about 11 o'clock that night. Mm. So uh, it takes a while to get all the as I said before, ducks in a row. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was just a, a wonderful day. And uh, while we were, as I said, while we were so excited for me, we knew that somewhere there was a family who was really suffering. And uh, it amazes me at the kindness, the generosity, the compassion of total strangers. And uh, that's one of the reasons I think it's so very, very important for people to become registered donors for eye tissue and organ donation, because what better legacy could someone leave knowing that they had saved someone's life or enhanced someone's life? Well, and and we hear, you know, I think that for people who are not quite familiar with um, the processes involved in organ recovery, donation, transplantation, um, and of course, in, in in the case of a deceased donor, it begins with the donor and the donor's family. But it is, it's always um, incredibly just, I, I don't know, it's heartening. It's always amazing to hear families talk about the fact that it was the having that opportunity. Uh, it's a couple of things. One, either knowing that their loved one had made that decision had made such a huge difference for them as a family, knowing that the, their loved one had already registered, had already made the decision. Um, and then there, there's the other story that we also hear, which is, um, I'm so happy that my loved one was able to help someone through the donation of their gifts. It has made a, a completely surreal, horrible incident seem bearable. And then eventually, they see the value in it. Um, and I know that sometimes that can be um, difficult 
for the recipient because the recipient, as you just said, you know, your your joy, you were very happy, you were joyous, but but it was tempered just a little bit, right? Yes, absolutely. So that can be difficult too as well. So how have you have you have you done anything or made any um I don't know vows or <laughs> statements to yourself that kind of help you to 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 live through this, to live the life that you deserve without carrying a feeling of guilt. I don't know if it's totally possible for me. It may mm-hmm. be for other recipients. Um, I feel like that I need to live my life to the fullest. I feel like I need to live my life as being the very best person I can be, to live my life to be kind and caring and loving to others, to be compassionate, to be non-judgmental, because I have been given this chance to live by someone who was kind, caring, compassionate, loving, generous, and I want to carry on that kind of spirit in my life. And I've been able to be involved with the Arkansas Donor Family Council. And through meeting those donor families, it has made me realize that they see joy when they see a donor recover and live a full life and a productive life and a happy life, that the quality of their life has been restored through tissue and eye donation. And through organ donation, life has been restored. And they take such joy in it because they've turned their tragedies into miracles for others. So, you you know, almost, it's almost like having, you are sort of like a reminder of them, of of the wonderful thing that has come from something tragic that's happened to them even. So just having you in their presence must make a, a great positive um, impact on them. So, I hope so. So, uh, Carolyn, I understand that your mother and your brother are also both transplant recipients. Back in the 1980s, my mother was losing her eyesight, and she was able to get double cornea transplants. Mm. And this was back in the 80s, and mm-hmm. at that time, I knew nothing about transplants at all. Um, but it enabled her to keep her vision and to see and to live life independently Mm -hmm. until she passed away at the age of 82. Mm -hmm. And my brother is two years older than I am, and I tease because I say I'm old, so he's older than dirt. Uh, (laughs) But he had a heart transplant in 2001 and is doing great, and he had a kidney transplant two years ago. And as I said, he's doing great. And uh, the heart disease is a genetic problem for mm-hmm. our family. Okay. And uh, my mother and dad both had heart heart disease. And my brother and I were the ones who got to keep it. So you were no stranger then to donation, to organ recovery. You were already sort of familiar with it then at the time that you received yours. Yes. Yes. Uh, because of, especially because of my brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all, but uh, yes, and to see him recover, and to see the life that he was able to uh, to take back, mm-hmm. and to become a productive, and to be involved in his family's lives, and he had children, and now he has grandchildren. So, yes, you know, Carolyn, I've I've heard um, people talk about um, either the either the recipient him or herself or their family member will talk about the first time they saw their loved one after they had received the organ. 
and that they just looked so different. There was color in their face. You know, there was just a, a different sort of glow and everything, something that they probably hadn't seen in them in years and probably in some cases ever. Do you, can you remember that moment of, of waking up and thinking something, you know, maybe, oh, I can, I can breathe better or I'm, I'm not weak anymore? I could, my first thought was I don't feel my heart beating mm. because my, my heart that was failing was beating so hard mm. that it would actually shake the bed. Wow. And I, the first thought was I don't feel my heart. I don't hear my heart beating. And I can take a deep breath and I can breathe. Wow, that is, that's just incredible. Hey, can you remember your first meal after you had your transplant? <laughs> Not the very first meal. Uh, my, I had been on a very restricted diet of mm -hmm. low sodium for nine years, and I love pizza. <laughs> and the doctors told me I could not eat pizza for nine years. I didn't have a, a piece of pizza. <laughs> so I asked the doctors when I was still in the CVICU if I could have pizza, and they said yes. So my husband went out to Pizza Hut, and he bought pizza for me, and he bought pizza for the entire floor for the, oh. the nursing staff I'll bet. and uh, so we put it in their break room with soft drinks and our daughter made brownies for them <laughs> and uh, so all day that day I had people just they peeked their head in my door saying thanks for the pizza <laughs> and, uh, it was wonderful <laughs> well they work hard at those hospitals so they're happy to have the snacks <laughs> <laughs> they do but I just my care in both uh, my, my medical care was absolutely excellent and I'm so thankful to my transplant team. Well, that that is just that's fantastic. And um, you know, I'm guessing that you probably, like many other recipients, have wondered about your donor family because you have not met your donor family. Is that correct? That's correct. But I'll bet you've kind of replayed in your mind what it would be like to meet them. Maybe what you might say or what might happen. What can you share? What you think that meeting would be like? I would probably cry the entire time mm -hmm. because I'm a very emotional person. I have written letters, nine letters to mm -hmm. my donor families, expressing my gratitude to them mm -hmm. and telling them how my life had changed so very much since I had received my transplants. Um, the meeting I feel like would be extremely emotional. I know for me and I feel like it would be for my families, but I would just like to, to share with them the impact on my life and the impact on my loved one's lives because they still have a mama mm -hmm. and now they have a Nana and uh, <laughs> just being able to, uh, to be with my mom, uh, especially the year before she passed away, I was mm -hmm. her primary caregiver mm -hmm. and to be able to be there for her. And uh, it, it would be extremely emotional, I but I would sure. love, to, I would love to meet my donor families. Well, you have some incredible gifts of experiences and remembrances that you could share with them that came about all because their loved one donated to you, their loved ones donated to you. So, Carolyn, you know, it's always just such a pleasure to speak with you. And every time I hear your story, it's like I'm hearing you for the first time. I know it, but it's such it's such a compelling story, and I think um, they're not. I think most of us, or many of us, know someone who has received some sort of donation—tissue, organ, eye. 
Um, but to, to meet someone who has has had more than one transplant is, is a little less common. And uh, we're just so happy that you were able to be here today to tell the story that has so many parts and just such such a wonderful outcome. And I think you actually sort of alluded to this already, but I want to ask you once more. We, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to share with our audience why you think it is so important to register to become a donor. I think it's so important because you're giving life in organ transplants, you're enhancing life in the eye, in the tissue donation process. There are over 100, I think it's 109,000 people on the waiting list for organs today. And if you make that decision to donate and you're able to donate, then you'll know that you've helped someone live a better life or you have given someone life, as I said. It is a legacy that you could leave for your family, for your loved ones. And what better way to show your spirit of love and compassion and generosity. Carolyn Berry, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Audrey. I've certainly enjoyed it. And if you have questions for us, please call 501-907-9150. And if you're ready to make a life-restoring decision and register to become an organ, tissue, and eye donor, go to donatelifearkansas.org. Radiate is a production of Aurora and is hosted by Audrey Coleman, Aurora's Director of Communications.